Okay, you guys, welcome to episode 34 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McGeady, and uh, today I have a very, very special guest with me, somebody that I adore, really truthfully, like, I'm kind of obsessed with, but I, I don't want her to know, like, how obsessed I am because it could be, come off as creepy, but I'm very, very, very obsessed with this person, Cara Berry. I think the entire world listening to this knows who you are, but, like, go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh my god. First of all, Troy, I feel the exact same way about you. I'm, like, totally, like, oh, you're just, like, the love of my life. And I don't know why we're not, like, I don't know, like, in Snuggies together, drinking hot chocolate, like, every day of our lives. But, um... <laughs> but um yeah i guess for those who don't know me my name is kara berry and i host realizing stuff with kara and ryan a kardashian jenner podcast which like gives me my entire life like i feel like first of all sometimes i like will verbally respond to you guys and say things out loud and when I'm alone <laughs> in my apartment, like a psychopath, because you're so funny, and I feel like I'm talking to you, and I want to be a part of your conversation every week. Like, you guys are killing oh it. Thank you so much. You need to be a part of the conversation. We have to get, we have to start having guests, and you're like very, very much on the short list. So, <laughs> I would, we, we got to have you do it. I would, love <sighs> I would love it. Oh my gosh. Uh, but I'm very excited to be here. I couldn't be more turned on. These are like my people. I'm so excited. Yeah, so we're doing a pretty, it's a special episode. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about a couple on this podcast who never like officially dated. <laughs> but like they kind of have been dating for the longest. I mean, kind of like longer than most people have talked about on this show. Um, we're going to be talking about Rihanna and Drake. And I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> Yay! Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> what are your sort of like blanket? These are like just like quick thoughts. <sighs> like, what do you feel about Rihanna and Drake? Okay, well, these people are like made for me. This is like if I had to describe myself in two celebrities, it would for sure be Drake and Rihanna. Rihanna is my Pisces queen. Um, she was born. On the 20th of February, I was born on the 27th of February. She's just, like, a bad bitch. She smokes a lot of weed. She's hot. And she gets to wear dumb clothes. And I love her for it. And as far as Drake, he's just, like... He's, he's my Canadian queen. I mean, I know everybody has, like, Celine Dion and, you know, whoever else. But Drake is my Canadian queen. And... I just love that he's, he just feels so much. He loves a turtleneck. He <laughs> loves like a corny, uh, like a rose colored aviator. I just like, I mean, like, how could you not? How could you not? I don't, I don't understand the people who don't see it for Drake. I, I, I get him. I see him. I die. You know, I agree with you. I feel like for one thing, if you are, a, a person of a particular age and you don't have like i can understand not having like an affinity for like mer like late in life drake but like did you not grow up with him like he was so much a part of my teen years that which obviously we'll get into like i can't even he's proven himself to be an incredible actor 
He's obviously very talented. He's a really talented musician. Like, he's... What's there not to like about Drake? Besides, you know, I mean, what is there? What is there not to like? And then Rihanna. I mean, come on. Rihanna is like... Come on. She's like truthfully <laughs> an untouchable, not human... Everything she touched, in the words of Rihanna herself, everything she touches turns to gold. And, like, she's never had, like, a slope period in her career. She's never not had, like, a hit single. She's never, like, she, for just over 10 consecutive straight years, she's just been, like, killing it. And she continues to kill it. And I can't fathom anything that would ever, like, stop her from killing it. Yeah, because it seems so effortless to her. Like, she's just unabashedly herself, and people just live for it. It's just it's just incredible. Well, God I'm, bless you. <laughs> I'm super excited. Um, again, this is... Uh, so, when I was doing research for this episode, I was looking online at, like, um, you know, obviously just, like, facts and stuff about their relationship. And, like, one of the craziest things about Rihanna and Drake is that... You know, they were introduced to each other in 2005, and they've had this weird sort of, like, on and off again. Um, I mean, you could call it a relationship. They've never really publicly declared either, like, they've never, neither one of them has ever said, like, I'm dating so-and-so. They've never, like, done that. But they've been in a weird sort of, like, friends with benefits, sometimes dating thing for a really really long time like longer than most people that i've talked about in this podcast absolutely and it's just such a great power dynamic because you can tell that drake is so much more into her than she is to him mm-hmm. and just to like he will talk about her any like he's not one of those people who like i don't want to talk about my past relationships anymore he will talk about rihanna at any given moment you don't even have to bring her up, I think. And he will admit his love for her. And she barely speaks to him at all. And it just, it, oh, God. It, it's just like, hashtag goals, if I ever have to use that hashtag, she would be it. And, like, honestly, She's it's such so, a nice queen. It's so relatable that he, like... That he like chases her because who wouldn't like if you if you ever came in contact with her and she ever gave you like a morsel of her time even a blink in your direction like any normal human person would just be like I would chase her to the sun like I would literally throw myself in traffic just to like have a conversation with her so I get it like I totally understand Drake's yeah. um, public public declarations for the past the ten twelve thirteen years of just being like I worship this woman and i want to be with her and she won't be with me that's like basically what he says to the public god it's so great it's so so refreshing to hear (laughs) (laughs) this is so relatable (laughs) (laughs) oh god um yeah but here's the thing that you mentioned that i have to admit is that like i think i was right at the age cutoff for degrassi so like i don't know that side of drake Ooh, I don't know that Aubrey. I'll tell you everything. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested in hearing... Yes, please, tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> because, I I mean, I don't even have the words. I mean, to be honest with you, Aubrey, Aubrey Graham, as I like to... Because I really do see them as two separate people. I actually have this theory about Drake that I want to run by you when we, like, get to talking about him in-depthly. Um, oh, please. But I kind of see him as, like, two separate people, and... Aubrey Graham is somebody that he wasn't my favorite person on Degrassi, but like when we we'll talk, we'll get we'll get into it. It's a whole thing. Okay. 
<laughs> so I figured we could kind of like start with uh, Rihanna because when they met, they were both like at the very, very beginning periods of their careers. Like Rihanna was like just newly discovered and like they met when she was filming her first music video. So I figured we could kind of talk about Riri and like what she was up to and in 2003 and four and all these things. And then we can kind of transition into Drake and then quote dating. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so, um, in the couple years prior to Rihanna, like meeting Drake, like I said, she was in the very like formative years of her career. Nobody knew who she was. And in late 2003, Rihanna scored an audition with this record producer named Evan Rogers while she was vac- he, while he was vacationing in Barbados with his wife, and um, he said in these interviews that when he first spotted her, he had noticed that you know she was obviously beautiful. She had green eyes. She had a really long like supermodel neck, and she looked like a model. And um, she had like color coordinated her outfit in this cool way, which like duh. And uh, he was like thought that she would be too pretty to actually be like talented. He was like she clearly like will not be able to sing. And at the time, she was in this, like, girl group, and he had them audition, and, like, obviously fell in love with her. Which, like, duh. Again. Of course. Oh, gosh. She... Have you seen that video of her as a child singing a Whitney Houston song? I think it was Hero. Of course. Yes. I I mean, if we're gonna keep it all the way 100, (laughs) Anna's been on a journey with her vocal skills. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's only gotten better. We'll just say that. I <laughs> she's only gotten better. 100%. If you guys haven't seen that video, it's like, oh, wow. It's a, <laughs> it's a progression. It's, it's a dark, dark time for Rihanna. There are pitch issues. <laughs> <laughs> like, she doesn't seem to know what pitch is. That would be the first issue. There's um, an alleged tone death issue we will say <laughs> at that time she's picked up tone and pitch and uh yeah it was she was she was it was a little of a str- the beginning there was a bit of a struggle rihanna live at the beginning of her career was very uh i didn't have high hopes for what was to come later let's just say that no i could not have seen this coming no. at all and maybe that's part of why i'm so proud of her honestly yes because um, she's come, become this like confident woman and like she, you can tell when she performs now. There's such a like a uh, an effortless sort of like confidence there because she's like found her voice in comparison to when she used to sing and it felt like she was like trying to sound like other people, but that's not possible for her. Yes, she was really trying to embrace the like they were really trying to make her kind of like a bringing dance all over to America and like popularizing it at the beginning of her career and. Even though she is from Barbados, it just kind of doesn't quite work for her. I don't really love dancehall Rihanna. It's not my favorite Rihanna. Oh, God, me neither. It's so, like, it's just so contrived and, like, sort of, like, like, she's capable of so much more than, like, those stereotypical, like, sort of, like, cliches, you know? Yeah. I agree. (laughs) So yeah, this was this was a dark time. But, yeah, they met. Um, she was doing the video for Ponde Replay. Yeah, for Ponde Replay, which like again, early Rihanna like dance hall like Ponde Replay is like the worst Rihanna song. It's the worst Rihanna video. Which like you can't judge a person for their first like their first song. It's like not really fair. But like Ponde Replay is like right. particularly pretty bad. 
It's real bad, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so she was filming that at a diner in Toronto, and that's where she first met, for, ugh, excuse me, first met Drake. And can we talk for a second about the fact that, like, in the very beginning of her career, like, can we just talk about, like, the Christina Milian of it all? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I read this. Uh, First of all, that's rude. <laughs> I was when I went back and I was doing research on the beginning of her career. I was reading about how she like, you know, when she went to go, you know, obviously Evan had gotten her this like uh, this meeting with Jay Z, and like Jay Z like loved her and was like, you know, he wouldn't let her leave um, the offices of Def Jam until she signed on the label because he wanted to make sure, like, nobody else could, like, get her. And they really just were, like, she became, like, like, Ashanti was to Murder, Inc. as Rihanna was to Jay-Z. Like, she was just, like, the princess. And they, like, started dropping people from the label and, like, taking other people's songs away and just doing everything they physically could to, like, make Rihanna a star. And, like... They basically were like Christina Milian, like you're done. Anything we anything we needed from you, you've given us, and thank you so much. But they dropped her immediately and <laughs> gave all of her songs to Rihanna, which I'm obsessed with. Poor, poor thing. God, <laughs> God bless her. God bless the Christina Millians and Carrie Hilsons of the world. Oh my God! Don't even you know? get me started on Carrie Hilson. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I mean, just. Yeah, what a, they definitely saw her, something in her. Um, this was when Matthew was still managing Beyonce, so he couldn't poach Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, so he needed somebody, and he found her. My God. He found her. He Did found he find star. her. And, like, I read, uh, I also read that, like, Christina Milian found out that they had given all her songs to Rihanna, like, through the, like, the media. And, like, the article that I read was uh, from 2008, so it's very on-brand that she had just signed a deal with MySpace Records. Um, Oh, my God. And that was supposed to be, like, the relaunch of her career, and she was, like, so excited to, like, outdo Rihanna and, like, prove to the world that, like, they made a mistake and she was gonna, like, take over the world with MySpace. Like, how sad is that? That's so... Oh, bless her. (laughs) That's so sad. That's so sad. Oh, God. I hope way that God smiles upon Christina Milian. Give her... Give her something. Give her a goddamn break. Give her something besides a hosting job behind the scenes of The Voice. Like, give give this woman a break. (laughs) She gave us some great... Did she get, like, a Skechers? Skechers ad or something? A woman who gave us (laughs) so many iconic Now That's What I Call Music hits, I think, deserves a little bit more than what we've given her. couldn't agree with you more oh my god anyway <laughs> so speaking of Pande replay um that song went on to become like a song of the summer which is iconic and like honestly so important to rihanna's career because rihanna is the queen of the song of the summer like that is how she's like maintained this incredible career like she every single year rihanna releases a song that defines that year by her summer song like she's the girl her and like you know there's this like a handful of girls that have always done that like her and Katy perry and like they released the song of the summer and it becomes a huge hit and like it just is what it is and that was her first like big song of the summer um 
off her album Music of the Sun, which like LOL at that fucking title. <laughs> that was yeah, what an earworm that song was. Like I can still remember Oh my gosh. And I feel like wasn't that the same year that, that song like the uh oh Yeah. They used like the same um it used the same beat, basically. Yeah. And yeah, what a what a hit. <laughs> yeah. What a hit. Um <laughs> Okay, so, can we talk, I mean, that's basically, like, they were 12 when they met, so, like, that's basically what Rihanna was up to. She was releasing Pond Every Play and, like, getting signed and, like, getting fitted for her perfect belly chain. Um, (laughs) Can we talk about Drake now for a minute? Was Drake still on Degrassi at this point, or was he done? So, when he met Rihanna, he was still on the show. Um, Prior to meeting her, you know, he was living in Toronto, supporting his family with this, like, teen soap star paycheck. And his mom, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, he grew up in this, like, kind of, like, affluent neighborhood called Forest Hill. And then, you know, where he was, like, the poor kid. And then they moved to another neighborhood called neighborhood called uh, Oakwood Vaughn, which he described as tough. So he was, like, not the poor kid, but then was, like, the mixed kid. So he was bullied about his race and, like, beaten up a lot. And, like, you know, he just had, like, a tough, a tough go with it. And um, he said... In an interview about his childhood that he said we had half of a house that we could live in. The other half, the other was the top half. We had the bottom half. I lived in the basement. My mom lived on the first floor. It wasn't big and it was not luxurious, but it was what we could afford. Um, So their only means of income was basically his Degrassi check. Like he was supporting him and his mom, like living in this like condo in like not a great neighborhood. And um, yeah, which is like super sad. Yeah, it is. Because I feel like she's been sick for quite a while. So yeah, it was probably probably a lot of stress for them. And Drake loves his mother. He loves and his mom. Can we give him props for that? Yeah, like I love you know I love a mama's boy. I really do. Ugh, same. <laughs> <laughs> um gosh. Um so yeah, they they pretty much they met in two thousand five and then they didn't meet again basically until two thousand nine. Yeah, so he was like on, he left the show in 2009. Um, he basically was like, the, he he wanted to do music, and he had like always been pretty open about the fact that he wanted to be a musician. Like, I remember when I used to watch the show, they would do these sort of like in between, like it was like the Canadian like noggin version of Cribs, where they would like go to these kids' houses and like see how they live. But like, it was hilarious because. None of them were making so much money that they'd be living in, like, some crazy mansion. So they'd be like, this is our condo! And it would be, like, you know, <laughs> a, a fridge full of, like, Gatorade and, like, Go-Gurts and, you know, a PS2. And, like, just a normal, like, kind of suburban house. And I remember whenever they would go to Drake's house, he always had, like, all these notebooks, like, full of music. And, like, he had a recording studio in his basement that he made up himself with, like, a sock over a microphone and... I used to make fun of him. Like, me and my friends would be like, he is so... Like, I love that he thinks he's gonna, like, become a rapper. Like, this kid from Degrassi is gonna, like, become, like, a Canadian rapper. Like, we used to roast him all the time. Right. Oh, my God. And look at what he became. Look at that (laughs) little Ian man, Aubrey, became. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He... When is that, um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, I was asking, um, when did the when did the single come out? Over like 2011. I wrote down that he. So he. He was on the show from 2001 to 2009, and when the producers found out that he was doing music without telling them, basically behind their back, um, they gave him an ultimatum that was like, you can either be on this show or you can, like, do music. Or, like, you can't do both. Okay. So he left the show in 2009, and he released his first mixtape. Well, actually, he released his first mixtape in 2006 via MySpace, and then his second mixtape in 2007. Um, and that was the music that got him in trouble. Because he was, like, so... He was so successful as, like, a an unsigned sort of just, like, internet artist. Like, people loved him. And he... His, like, music spread around so fast. Which is crazy. Because that was, like... The interesting thing about the beginning of Drake's career and, like, the release of his music is that this was, like, a, a period when that was, like, not... Like, there were no, like, Chance the Rappers of the world. You know what I mean? There wasn't, like... People didn't have, like, Billboard chart-topping songs on no label that they just released on the internet from, like, their computer at home. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's insane. So, yeah. Uh, looks like uh, the first single, Over, like his first big hit single came in 2010. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, like, he went from, like, releasing songs on MySpace and, like, SoundCloud to, like, then he was involved in, like, one of the biggest, like, bidding wars in music history, where, like, every record label was after him, and, like, very publicly after him, like, declaring, we fucking want Drake, like, don't go to any, like, doing, like, Rolling Stone articles of, like, Drake, don't sign with anybody else, like, it was crazy. Right. Um... But yeah, so they... Gosh, and then we know Lil Wayne ended up doing that, which is hilarious. Which I think is fucking hysterical. <laughs> like, I like to imagine what his life would have been like had he, like, what would it, what would have happened with Drake had he chosen, like, some other record label? Like, if he had gone with, like, Jay-Z and, like, worked with, like, Kanye and those people, or, like, you know what I mean? Like, how different his career path would have been? Yeah, yeah. Because this was, like, at such a, a point when, like... Wayne was really, like, at the height of his career, so everybody was thinking, like, even though he really didn't have, like, a big label at the time, everybody was thinking, like, oh my gosh, if you go to Young Money, like, you're gonna end up like Wayne, which was, like, a huge thing at the time. This was, like, way before he was, you know, having seizures every other day because he can't stop drinking Wayne. Um, So, yeah, so he ended up, like, signing Nicki and... (laughs) Tyga, LOL, and um, yeah, and Drake. They were like touted as the three hit stars of of the label. Now, can I just tell you really quickly that like Drake was an extreme. First of all, all of Degrassi: The Next Generation revolved around this like really early episode where like there was a shooting. It was like very. It was a huge deal. Like it was formative for a lot of people. And Drake was the one that had gotten shot. Like, before that, he was, like, this basketball star. And, like, he wanted to, like, you know, he was going to, like, go to school and basically get a basketball scholarship. And that was going to be, like, his thing in life. And then there was this shooting episode that, like, shook teens. And uh, Drake got (laughs) shot, put him in a wheelchair. And he became, like, he became, like, the driving force of the show. Like, it wasn't narrated around him, but, like... He was the kid that survived like a like a, a shooting at school, and like it was a huge, 
it was a huge thing. Like, he, he, he wasn't just, like, on Degrassi. Like, he was a pivotal, like, person on that show, and he was on it for, like, you know, his entire childhood, basically, which is insane. Okay. So, pretty early on, he got shot. Was he the only, like, even mildly person of color person on the show? No, Degrassi Like, why did he have to get shot from his promising basketball career? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the guy who shot him had, he had rage issues, and he, like, was dating this girl. Like, there there were tropes, you know? There was, like, the overweight girl who was insecure and bullied, and, like, the gay person, and... Like, he was, like, the mixed guy who was, like, of course, good at basketball. Um, and, like, you know, there was just, like, all these, like, very specific, like, tropes. And they've always done it that way. And he was just, like, a casualty. But the reason that he got shot was because the kid who was, like, who shot him was abusing his girlfriend. He was, like, dating the girl who was, like, overweight and insecure, and he was, like, beating her. And, like, he, like, brought a gun to school to, like... It was a whole thing. Honestly, I really do suggest... If you ever get bored and you just want to, like, eat something gross and watch a show that makes you feel things, keen things, just watch... Seriously, watch Degrassi. Just, like, watch a few episodes. You won't be able to stop. That's all I ever want to do. So (laughs) I'm going to get right on that. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, Rihanna and Drake met in 2005 at a restaurant called Avocado, which is, like, very Canadian to me. Um, they <laughs> met while she was filming her music video for Ponder Replay, and uh, he Drake said that he was introduced to her as the guy who... He basically would play music at the restaurant in the background while people ate, so he was there just kind of, like, playing music, and he knew a bunch of Rihanna's dancers because they were... Um, can, they were like Canadian-based dancers and like kids who like wanted to do music. So he knew all of them, and that was kind of like how they first started talking. He went over to like talk to the dancers, and he was introduced to uh, to Rihanna, and the world was never the same. Oh my god, what a beautiful, beautiful moment! I know. We all know that Drake loves a loves a dancer, so this is like a match made in heaven for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um. Which is, so, like, this is, even though they met in 2005, like, this perfectly sums up their relationship. They weren't then photographed together again until 2009, and their first, like, really big headline came, um, after, this was, like, after Chris Brown, like, after the incident, and she was, like, rebounding yeah. with Drake, and, like, they got photographed bowling together at Lucky Strike, um... And yeah, this was just like a few months after the whole Chris Brown situation. So yeah, it was a lot of a lot of attention. This is like her, the, like where her star really started to shine. Yeah, and like he wasn't, you know, I mean Drake was like famous, but Rihanna was like, she was like a a pop princess at that point. Like she was, you know, her and Chris Brown were on a pedestal of like Britney and Justin. Like they were like really fucking famous, not only individually but like as a couple. They were like you know, it was huge. So this was crazy. And, um, I read, I read, I read this, uh, this article that came out after the Chris Brown incident in reference to them being at Lucky Strike together. And it says, Rihanna and Chris Brown are officially over. This is the bar, <laughs> the Barbadian beauty showed up 
uh, with a group of friends Monday at Lucky Strike Lane's Lounge on West 42nd, but spent most of the night locking lips with Canadian former child actor turned rapper Aubrey Drake Graham. She was drinking whiskey and apple juice, which, like, hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> like, did you steal that from your mom's liquor cabinet? Like, what? very island girl thing to be drinking for sure she was drinking whiskeys and apple juices and making out with aubrey drake graham all night (laughs) it's like they stole their their parents keys to their parents car and like had a wild night out (laughs) she was drinking midori sours and yeah just partying the night away (laughs) it's like a pucker and orange juice (laughs) Ninety nine bananas, you guys. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> and then Rihanna did an interview in November of two thousand and nine, uh, stating that there, you know, there was no truth to them dating and that she wasn't with Drake. Which, like, this would be the first of many, many, many declarations from Rihanna that she is not dating Drake and has no interest in him, as he's just like saying the complete opposite to whoever will listen. Like, literally on the street with a megaphone, just, like, screaming how much he wants to be in a relationship with this woman. Which, again, relatable. I get it. That's so good. God bless. God bless. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this is, like, a, a series of unfortunate um, incidents for Aubrey. Because um, a few months after that, um, they... A few months after that Rihanna interview a song comes out of Drake's featuring Alicia Keys, which like how in your feelings you have to be. Ugh, I know. Good Lord. To have a song featured by. Alicia. <laughs> I um, so the song's, <laughs> the song was called fireworks. Um, and it kind of quotes, um, the time that they went to lucky strike, he and Rihanna and, yeah, it was just, uh, he did a, an interview um, with the New York Times, and he said, that, like, basically that Rihanna played him. <laughs> basically, like, she gave him a taste of his own medicine. He is usually the kind of, like, the guy who will take a girl out, and they'll have a really good time, and then he'll just kind of ghost them. But be, she ended up doing that to him, and it was really, like, a, a wake-up call for him, which is amazing. Yeah, he said that she used him as a pawn, which, like... You know, probably considering she had just been publicly battered by a boyfriend and, like, was just looking for a sweet, like, mixed guy from Toronto to, like, treat her like a fucking queen and take her out to, like, Lucky Strike and have whiskeys and, and fucking puckers. Like, okay, yeah, like, so what? Like, it's like, get over yourself. Like, she had just been in, like, this crazy abusive relationship and, like, yeah, she probably did use you as a pawn. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, get over yourself. He his mind was playing Taylor Swift's love story in his head, <laughs> and she was like just trying to have a good time and bowl, you know. Yeah, like she wasn't looking to like, get married after she was like coming off of this like horrible event in her life. Like it's just so Drake. Like he's just he is like I feel like I get like don't you feel like you really get their relationship? Like the dynamic makes makes so much sense to me that he's like this kind of like a little bit of a wee little bit of a drama queen like a like a a whiny little bitch in a way and rihanna's like this tough bad bitch who like you can't crack and he's just like constantly chasing her but like she like loves him still because he's sweet and he like treats her well yeah i mean it's one of those like hollywood stories where like 
what you guess is exactly what's going on, and it's it's very like it's it's a great story in that way that it's like very predictable. Yeah, their personalities are exactly how you think. They, she treats him exactly how you think she would. He follows her around like a puppy because of course he does because she's fucking Rihanna, and yeah, it's just just so great. Yeah. And then the following week, he did uh, this interview, like, retracting his statement of saying that he was a pawn. And he said, I'm extremely confident, so it's very weird that anybody, let alone a woman that I like, makes me feel nervous or makes me feel small. He explained, she's just an overwhelming and incredible person and such a talented person and someone that I, I like. And I can't believe I'm... I'm sorry, someone that I was like, I can't believe I'm here talking to this individual that she just gave me that feeling when I was 17 years old trying to talk to Nikki Ramos, this girl from Toronto, on a date, and she never wanted to go out with me. She never, she would never go. She would have a million excuses and why she couldn't talk to me. That's how Rihanna made me feel. Like, a small... A, like, she made me feel small. She made me feel nervous. I just put... She put me back in the Acura in Toronto feeling like Aubrey Graham and not Drake. Which, like... That sums up who Drake is as a fucking person, by the way. Like, that is Drake. That statement. That is, that's the Drakest Drake statement to ever Drake itself. Like, I mean, my God. Put me back in the Acura. Bless him. (laughs) Wait, oh, can I run my Drake theory by you really quickly and tell me what you think? Please. So, I have this theory that Drake is Erica Jane. And that he has these two, like, I think that Aubrey Graham is, like, who he is. And then Drake is this, like, persona that he created, not to, like, make it or whatever, but it's just, like, it's his, like, rap persona. That he's, like, this tough, like, because when you look at Drake and you see, like, how he acts in, like, his music videos and stuff, and, like, when Drake is, like, full-on being Drake and, like, throwing up fucking gang symbols and shit, and then you, like really know who Aubrey Graham is, that he's, like, this very sweet, emotional, like, very insecure boy who, like, you know, took care of his mom and grandmother and, like, says shit like that. Like, I think that Drake is Erica Jane. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, even, like, a Sasha Fierce, maybe. (laughs) Just, like, whipping his weave back and forth and just, like, having a good time. Uh, He's got, like, his little fake... His fake uh, London bloke accent where he's, like, wants to be a bad bitch. Oh, my God. And then the other times he's, like, singing and, yeah, and just crying about Rihanna. It's, (laughs) it's, It's a weird juxtaposition. He's... He's a, a woman of many personalities. We'll put it that way. <laughs> like when he gets on stage and he's like, when he like accepts an award as Drake and he's like, all day, every day, all day, thank, blah, 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 all day, every day. <laughs> you guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um you'll get me and molly's uh britney and kevin chaotic special you'll get all the stuff that molly does exclusively through patreon it's well worth it and also if you're not a member of our facebook group go to molly and the psychos.com it'll take you straight to it and uh all we do all day and all night is talk about reality tv it's super fun so, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.